So uh, a few days after Christmas, I was uh, driving on the highway, and I was uh, on 93, and the place was just a parking lot, uh, just complete bumper-to-bumper traffic. We're going uh, into the tunnel, so we're at that, that part on 93, if you know it well, going into downtown, where there's kind of the overpass, you're under the, I think it's the outbound traffic, and it's a parking lot, so nobody's moving, and I see about 10 cars up, we're in the left-hand lane, and I see about 10 cars up, there's this little cutout, it's only probably maybe 200 feet long. Well, people are, are jumping out of the lane, running forward like two cars, and then jumping back in. And I see this happening, you know, as we're just sitting there, you know, nothing's happening. And I think in my mind, okay, I'm not going to get to that point on the highway, and I'm not going to get punked like that dude just got punked. I'm not going to let somebody jump out, run up two cars, and get in front of me. So sure enough, we get up to that point, and I see in our rearview mirror this dude try it. I see two cars behind me. He gets out, and he runs around. And sure enough, I'm the car that he's trying to punk. Like he's, he's getting to the point where the road is, is closing in on him, and he's trying to force his way in. It's this little like Hyundai car. I'm thinking, this isn't, this isn't even happening. So I'm not even looking at him. I'm just staying straight here, acting like he's not even there. I'm as close to the next car as you can possibly be. I mean, there's so much urgency in this guy. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, this is, I mean, again, the, the highway is a parking lot. And this guy is thinking, if I just get up three more cars, something will happen. Something will change. But he's going to get back into traffic and nothing is going to change. There's so much urgency in this guy. It just cracked me up. But sure enough, stood on the, 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 the car behind me and he had to wait. I won. It was, a, it, it was definitely, thank you. It was definitely a victory that day. I felt it in my soul that it was a victory. But we're going to look at a text today uh, where Jesus is addressing a crowd. And there's, there's urgency to his words. And I want us to see that. And I want us to think about that. And I want us to um, kind of figure out why is he urgent? You know, why, is he, why is there this intensity about his words, because in, in, a, in a much more purposeful way than this guy trying to cut me off on the highway, Jesus is urgent with his words to his word to his with his words to his listeners. So I want to read the passage again. Here it's John seven thirty seven through thirty nine. Says on the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was, yet, was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we get into your word, as we do attempt to study it, we do attempt to get from it what you're really saying and the truth that is there and how that changes our life, I pray that my words be clear in such a way as that your truth be communicated. And I also pray that our hearts would be ready for it, that they would be open to hear your truth, willing 
to hear your truth, uh, to be encouraged by it. God, we thank you for your grace to us this, this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I first started to, to look at this text, if I'm honest with you, I was, I was pretty concerned. I got a little anxious when I first started to get into it because it's only three verses. And so I honestly started to have this like anxiety of like, man, I'm only going to be up there for like seven minutes and then sit back down and everybody's going to be like, what is he doing? He's supposed to be up there much longer than that. And not that some of you wouldn't mind if I was done in seven minutes. But I really started to think, I, you know, I don't think I can turn this into a sermon. I don't think this can be uh, what, it, what, it, you know, what we're used to. But then as I started to study it, I really started to see that just within these three verses, there's so much going on and there really is so much uh, history. There's so, much, uh, so many other passages that kind of tie into this, that give it context. And, and ultimately, there's so much promise in this text. And so that's what I want us to really uh, get from this as we, we look at it. So there's definitely more than seven or eight minutes here. And, and I hope that, uh, again, as we get through this, that we all see that Jesus is promising us so much. I think the overarching idea here is that with eternal realities in mind, Jesus urgently implores his listeners to have faith in him that they might receive his promised spirit. And say that again because that is, again, kind of this overarching idea to what we're talking about today. With eternal realities in mind, Jesus urgently addresses his, his audience and beckons them and, 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 and really even begs them to have faith in him that they might receive his promised spirit. And so with that in mind, we're, we're really kind of just simplifying it and asking two questions. First of all, why is Jesus so urgent? What's the need for that? And secondly, what is he offering? What is he actually promising to us as, as followers of him? So why is Jesus so urgent? You know, I think we have to be careful a lot of times when we're reading Scripture that we don't approach it like it's a textbook, that we don't look at it like it's a textbook, that we just have, uh, it just has information in it that we have to kind of glean out of it. That we don't look at it like it's black and white, that it's words on a page, and, and yet that we look at it in such a way as to know that it is words on a page, obviously, but those words are describing something that actually happened. I mean, these words are describing a situation in history that happened in a specific time, in a spe- specific location, with specific people, with, with real problems. It had all of this texture to it. And so I want us to do that as we look at this, uh, as we look at this passage. I think it's really important to do that. And in this, on a practical level, Jesus was simply motivated with urgency for his people because he he, he probably realized this was one of the last times he was going to have an opportunity to speak to these people. So what's going on here in John 7.37 as we pick up is that Jesus is with 
people at the Feast of Booths, which is a Jewish feast, and, and you know, the people would, would gather for this to celebrate God's faithfulness. Well, the Feast of Booths happened roughly six months uh, before or after, however you want to look at it, before the Passover. Well, as we know, you know, Jesus uh, was crucified the week of the Passover. And so, even though it's six months prior to that at this point, it's very likely that this is the last opportunity that Jesus has with these people. He's, he's urgently motivated with his words because he recognizes that this is probably the last opportunity he has to speak truth into their lives and that this is their last opportunity to hear the gospel. So even though it's six months, uh, there's six months separation here, we don't have uh, evidence in the gospels that Jesus was necessarily in Jerusalem after this point. The next time we see Jesus in Jerusalem is John 11, and that's when it's about a week before Passover, or it's the, the week of Passover, a week before his crucifixion. And so that's when Jesus is coming back. So again, this is most likely Jesus' last opportunity with these people. And I just ask you to think about a situation, maybe you've, you've had a situation where you know it's your last opportunity with somebody. Unfortunately, some of us and maybe many of us have had that uh, reality that we've known this is the last opportunity I have with this person. I've had that situation with my grandfather, knowing that that was it. And you just think about those situations, and what do your words look like? Your words are, are, are direct, aren't they? They're bold. You know what you want to say. You, 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 you have a message, especially if you have a message, you're clear about what you want to say because you want to get that message across. You're urgent. You're intense with your words because you know time is of the essence. And in thinking through this question of why is Jesus urgent, I think we see that in this text, that Jesus is urgent with his listeners because he recognizes that this most likely is his last opportunity, that he would have to speak directly to them, to speak truth into their lives. On a much bigger perspective, on a much larger scale, I think Jesus also has another motivation that's going on here. I think that from a, a, an eternal and a theological perspective, Jesus has certain scriptures in mind as he's talking to his audience, as he's talking to his listeners. There could be a number of them, but specifically, uh, as I was studying this passage, um, Revelation 21 is a passage uh, that came up uh, in study, that, that Christ very well could have had this in mind as he was uh, discussing this with his listeners. This is Revelation 21, uh, verses 5 and 6. And, and this, is the, this is the last chapter, the next to last chapter of the entire Bible. So we'll read that quickly. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So Jesus very possibly had this in mind. He had, he had these realities in mind. So even though Revelation wasn't written yet, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with John 7 here. We're dealing with Jesus in time, uh, at the time of John 7. We're also dealing with the second person of the Trinity. So we can't limit ourselves to say, well, you know, that passage wasn't yet written. Jesus knows all of Scripture. He exists outside of time. So uh, there's, there's not this chronological issue to deal with. And Jesus knew that this was the, the future reality of, or, or for those people that would accept his invitation. That he could know that this could be said of them. That my Father would be their God. And that my Father would call them his sons and his daughters. Jesus was able to have that in mind as he approached his audience here in John 7. And that that would motivate him to be urgent and intense and serious and sober with his words. That his listeners would accept his invitation and that they would, ex- that, that they would experience that reality of Revelation 21. So that begins to describe a little bit about why was Jesus so urgent with his words? What motivated him to be uh, so urgent, so intense with what he had to say? But another question that uh, in studying I, I felt like we needed to deal with and we needed to think about was what is Jesus offering? And you might think that that's kind of a basic question, which it, it kind of is, on the surface, but in John seven thirty seven and, and through 39, he's obviously talking about his spirit. I'll read it again. He's obviously speaking about his spirit and, 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 and offering that to his people. But just reading uh, verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, you know, the obvious answer to the question of what he's offering is the Spirit. But then as I started to uh, sit with that and think about that, how would you answer that question? I mean, it's, it's kind of a churchy thing to say, yeah, we have the Spirit of God, we're Christians, that's our thing, you know. We get the Spirit when we accept Jesus. But we should take it to the next level and say, okay, what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? Well, Jesus uses this odd analogy here in in the text, in this passage about water. And he's done this a few times. We'll see here in just a second. He, He did it in John 4 as well. But I think it helps, first of all, to, to know the context of what's going on there. So again, the, the, uh, the setting is the Feast of Booths. That's where Jesus is 
with the people that are hearing his words at this time. And what would happen at the Feast of Booze is that, again, it was a celebration by the Jews of God's faithfulness to them. And at the, the, the feast or at the festival, they would have this ceremony where the high priest would have these two bowls of water. And he would come out and he would pour them out in this very formal ceremony before the people. And one of them was to symbolize God's faithfulness, what God had done for the people of Israel. And then the second bowl that he would pour out in the, in the sight of the people was uh, symbolic of God's pouring out of his spirit. And again, in, their, in, in, in that time, it was uh, really looking forward to this happening, that God would one day pour out his spirit in this messianic age when they would have a Christ and they would have a Messiah. And that's what's going on in John 7 where we pick up Jesus saying these words to the people. So in some ways, we see that Jesus is kind of one-upping the Jewish establishment. He's kind of saying, okay, you guys are offering this, you're talking about the Spirit in some future age. I'm here to tell you it's here and now. That what you're waiting for is here and now. He's, he's one-upping the people or one-upping uh, the Jewish leaders by saying that it's here and now. It's happening before their very eyes. And he's promising the people that if they would come and drink from him, they would receive his spirit. Once again, we're asking, what is that spirit? What is he actually offering? To answer this question, we could, we could sit here all day. We could talk about all of the different things that the Spirit of God brings to us. So I tried to, to limit my, 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 my study and what I was looking at, what I was wanting to uh, address. I would obviously encourage you to take some time maybe to think about that, what the Spirit of God is, what that offers to us as followers. But I sort of identified a couple of things uh, just so we're not here all day. First one is that the Spirit of God offers sustenance. The Spirit of God sustains us. That that is what Jesus is offering to the people here in John 7. In verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said. So, in studying this, it's, it's kind of hard, honestly, to say what Jesus was referring to there when he says, as the Scripture has said. There's a lot of, you know, writing about this. A lot of scholars go back and forth about what it is. One scholar argued, and I think he argued well, that uh, a passage of Scripture that Jesus probably was, was talking about there is Nehemiah 9. And that's the passage that Joey read earlier um, but the, the, the situation around uh, Nehemiah 9 is that the Jews are, in essence, kind of renewing their covenant with God. And so in doing so, they're just reciting all of the faithfulness of God and what He's done for them as a people, what He's done for their, their forefathers, what He's done throughout all of time. And that's what's going on in, in Nehemiah 9. Uh, and, and specifically, we're looking at uh, two verses, Nehemiah 9, 20 and 21. This is again the, the Jews speaking about God. They say this, 
You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. In this passage, we see God's Spirit tied directly to God's provision of needs. We see how God's Spirit amongst His people leads to God providing for the needs of His people. Now, obviously, we have to be careful, especially in our day and age, uh, of taking this too far, of taking this to the point where we in reality, end up with something like a health and wealth gospel. And unfortunately, we see that just rampant in our day. So many pastors take it to that point. But if we keep it in context, we see that that God does provide for the needs of His children throughout Scripture. He does. He, he, he provides for His children and and, and here in Nehemiah 9, we're seeing those tied directly. The God's presence of His Spirit with His people tied in with God's provision for those people, for His people, for His children. So I think in thinking through what is Jesus offering, we're seeing that Jesus is offering a Spirit that would sustain His followers. And we get to enjoy that as we call on the name of Christ. Another thing that the Spirit of God uh, provides us, I believe, is security. And when I say security, I'm not talking about bodyguards. I'm not talking about uh, being able to walk down the street and feel secure uh, wherever you might go. I'm talking about eternal security. I'm talking about being able to rest in who God is and who God is has made us to be. A passage that addresses this, sorry, I know I'm kind of around Scripture today, but once again, as I was studying this, there's so, so many texts that tie in to what Jesus was saying here. Uh, a passage uh, that I'll read quickly, just a couple of verses. It's from John 4, and it's actually a passage that I uh, preached on uh, in the fall uh, a couple of months ago. But it's Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman. And he says this, this is, verses, this is John four thirteen through 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, while Jesus is using the, 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 the symbolism of water here, he's obviously uh, talking ultimately about his, his Spirit, what His Spirit offers. And right there at the, at the end of verse 14, I think is, is the most important part, that He describes this spring of water within His followers. He describes it in such a way as that it, it wells up to eternal life. So for his followers, for those that would call on the name of Jesus, they would come and drink from him. They would receive the Spirit, and that Spirit 
would lead, would well up and lead to eternal life. So believers have uh, the, the amazing blessing, the amazing opportunity to be able to rest in their eternal reality. We saw that in Revelation 21, that Jesus had that in mind as well. He had these ideas of eternal realities that, that wait or that uh, are, are in the future for followers of Christ. And by the Spirit, we are enabled to rest in that and to recognize that, to know that about our future. That's an amazing, amazing blessing uh, for any follower of Christ. You know, I don't know how you, um, you responded to the news that came out of Newtown, Connecticut, just a few weeks ago. Uh, for me, I was at work at the time uh, when it all started to kind of hit the news and hit the uh, airwaves, and I, I saw it on uh, the web. And to be honest, I, I, was, I, was, I was kind of caught off guard because, you know, we've had, unfortunately, we've had terrible situations like that happen before. Um, but this one, it, it, it's like it caught me in a different way, and I think it had a lot to do with being a father now. Um, but I, I had a really tough time with that. I was at work, and, and, and just this heaviness sat on me the rest of the day. I had, a, I had a tough time focusing on work. I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to, to, to think about it. Um, but being a father, I had a really tough time thinking about that situation and, and just empathizing with those parents that were getting you know, really just about the worst news I can imagine. And I, I, I just kept thinking, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you survive that situation? And as I was really, uh, I was really heavy in, in that, and I, I don't mean to at all put myself on the level of any of these parents that had to suffer uh, such a tragedy. But at the same time, I was uh, just empathizing with him. And as I was doing that, and as that heaviness was on me, I felt like God also spoke peace to me. Of saying that even in a situation like that, even in worst case scenario, when the chaos of the world has fallen upon you, I would be there. That even in that situation where you wouldn't know how to take your next step, how you wouldn't know what to do from that point forward, I would be there. My spirit would be upon you and would give you peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of doubt. That's the blessing that we get as believers in Christ. That's the reality that we have, that we get to experience. I think often about those sort of situations. We've all been in different situations where things just aren't going right. We just don't have answers. And I, I think, what, what does a person that doesn't have this reality, that doesn't have God's Spirit to assure them, how do, how do they deal with this? But that's the blessing that we get as followers of Christ, that we have that assurance 
by His Spirit. Well, as I was studying, um, actually, I was, I was looking at, at some of my notes uh, yesterday. I was listening uh, at the same time to some music, and a song came over that I love. Uh, it's by a guy named Ben Rector. Um, and the words, uh, you know, I've heard the words before, but, but yesterday it just hit me. Uh, these words were really perfect for what I'm talking about here. And I'll just read a couple of verses uh, of his lyrics. He says, I woke up this morning and I heard the news. I know the pain of a heartbreak. I don't have answers and neither do you. I know the pain of a heartbreak. This isn't easy. This isn't clear. And you don't need Jesus until you're here. Then confusion and the doubts you had up and walk away. They walk away. These, the, the, these, these verses, his words here, maybe tend to oversimplify the matter a bit. Just because we might be believers, just because we might have the Spirit of God and we have that assurance, our doubts, our confusion, don't simply walk away. We recognize that. But at the same time, once again, we do have an assurance. We do have a security because of the Spirit of God living within us. That's the grace of God to His followers. And that's what Jesus is offering His listeners in John 7. And thank God Jesus is offering that same thing to anybody that would read John 7, hear those words, and accept Him. It didn't just apply to His listeners in John 7. It extends to those like ourselves today that read that text, hear Jesus' words, and have the opportunity to respond. Just as Jesus urgently pleaded with His people to hear His message and to respond, I also want you, or I also plead with you to respond. But I'm not asking you to respond to my message. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to respond to Jesus, to Jesus' message, to read John 7, to hear His invitation to Him, to come to Him, to drink from Him, and to accept that. For all of this, for all of us, this is going to look a little different. For some of us, we don't know Christ. We don't we might have heard uh, what I've been talking about this morning, and, and we, don't, we can't relate to that. We don't know uh, what that looks like. Well, for, for those of us that are in that situation, come and drink. Come and receive what Christ has, has promised. Come and receive the Spirit of God and sit in, in that sustaining power, sit in that security that is offered through His Spirit. For others of us, we do know Christ. That as we hear these words and we listen to this, uh, this sermon, we recognize that this, this is a reality, that this is what the Spirit of God offers. Well, our response is praise. Our, 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 our response is worship. Our response is praise God for what He has done. 
So we all fall into one of those two camps. I mean, those are the the two realities that we sit in this morning. And so I'm just going to pray for all of us uh, that we we, we see that and that we respond uh, rightly to God this morning. Let's pray.